Hello. Thank you for listening to Eclipsed Epics. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 3, Castulo, Sulla, and Civil War. Last time, we examined Iberia around the 1st century BC and examined Rome's dealings with that area up until the time of Sertorius' arrival there. Sertorius' general, Didius, assigned Sertorius to a wealthy, undisciplined garrison town called Castulo when he had got there. Philip Matizak, and I hope I'm pronouncing that name properly, I've looked it up about three times and I've tried to say it a billion times, and I got three pronunciations there and I'm working from those. So the pronunciation I'm going to hopefully stick with is Matizak. And my apologies to the author if he actually ever listens to this, um, I drew I drew heavily from your work and uh, my pronunciation of your last name in the last couple episodes has been uh, poor to say the very least. So my apologies go out to you. Philip Matizak describes the moral fiber of this place as corroding. Um, I put that in quotations. Uh, it would be quote corroding unquote. Sorry there. Um, he also hypothesizes that the reason Sertorius was sent there was to whip it up into shape. Either Sertorius was too inexperienced or he showed up too late to make the necessary changes, and Matizak uh, guesses the latter because in troubled times, we're going to see, see this in the future, he would not hesitate to be brutal to effect change. Now, Plutarch says that the soldiers of the garrison had quote, abandoned all pretense of discipline and spent most of their time getting drunk, unquote. So the natives, seeing this display of lethargy attacked at the barracks at night, presumably while the troops were sleeping off whatever they had drank, you know, that night, Sertorius escaped, rallied some supporters, and surrounded Castulo. This group killed every enemy of military age. And at this point, Sertorius's service as a spy kicked in. Sertorius and this group stripped the slain men of their garb and posed as tribesmen themselves. And then they wandered into the next town as if they were part of the tribe. Once they gained entry, Sertorius and gang either killed or enslaved everybody. So from this massacre at Castulo, Sertorius participated in the civil war. The war that Rome fought against the Italians because the Italians were sick of the burden of making Rome great without enjoying the full experience of citizenship as a Roman. And you can kind of compare this to how black people felt throughout the 1960s, having a disproportionate percentage of their population sent to the Vietnam War while still being denied civil rights at home. That's kind of the point that uh, Muhammad Ali uh, was kind of hammering home over and over and over again. Um, really, this comparison, the black people you know, feeling the, the sting of being sent to Vietnam while being denied civil rights, can basically you know, be linked to the black experience in America throughout and even before it being America's history. But let's get back to the social war. We do know three things about um, Sertorius' experience in it. 
The first is that he ran supply lines for Marius in Cisalpine Gaul. So we're talking in France, and judging by the name of Cisalpine, it's probably the part of France that was closer to Rome. Um, Second, Sertorius lost one of his eyes in service to Rome in this war, which begs a bunch of questions. I got really nothing on the social war other than these like three, not little things, but there's very little description, you know, in comparison, my description for, you know, the raid at Castulo is three or four times as long, you know, in my script that I'm reading from here, than the, the, um, the talk of the social war, which was a huge war that Rome, you know, had to deal with, with the Italians finally, um, to finally actually deal with the Italians. And we'll come, I don't know if we'll come to find out, but definitely, the Romans dealt with the Italians, quote-unquote, but they kind of gave them a backhanded deal to end that war. But we might get to it. I can't remember if I put it in the script or I, I cut that from that. But the third thing we know about Sertorius's, uh service in the war is that he served Rome with honor and extinction. Because Span says, Philip O. Span, who wrote the book uh, Quintus Sertorius and the Legacy of Sulla, Span says, and I, I interchanged those, I'm sorry, but Spahn says when Sertorius returned to Rome, he was actually really quite popular. Um, Sertorius would be recognized in public for his exemplary service. He was actually given standing ovations in theaters, a level of deference not even shown to his social betters. So like people in the Senate or patricians and stuff like that, which is basically synonymous with each other at this point, you know, Unless you're at the lower le levels of the Senate. Because, you know, Sertorius would actually be, like, around this time, enrolled in the Senate, at, but at a lower, lower rank. Uh, so, but, but Sertorius did not return to Rome to display his battle scars to receive pray for, praise for Rome, from Romans for his service. He was actually in Rome to display the battle scars and get the reception from Romans to... Uh, to turn that into winning a office called the Tribune of the Plebs, which was the office created after the conflict of the orders, which I mentioned in the first episode, as a check on the Senate. This candidacy in 88 BC ran Sertorius afoul of the consul of the, the year previous, Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Born in 138 BC in Rome, Sulla was a member of one of the oldest patrician families that had lost its relevance a long time ago. Instead of trying to restore the name of Cornelia, Sulla spent his youth hanging around what Romans viewed as the dregs of society. So we're talking actors and musicians here. And eventually we're going to start talking about gladiators once we get closer and closer to the actual empire. But uh, I think the gladiator, game, gladiator games are going on, but they're not as popular as they would be. Sulla w um, here even forged a long, lifelong relationship throughout his meteoric rise with Gasp, an actor. Even as Sulla was married and sired children with a more socially acceptable woman, he worked hard too. He was the ancient uh, world's equivalent of the, quote, work hard, work hard, play hard model. Sulla, he, with his high IQ, he actually studied 
intensely and he had a an eye on a political career but when his father died he found that his path was blocked because his father was actually unknown to him bankrupt so Sulla didn't even have any money to enter the army so and I'm guessing here if I infer from the sources he didn't have any money to enter the army as like an officer because he could probably enter the army as a lowly um because by this time uh, Marius had lowered the land requirement and I'm assuming he lowered any payment into the army to get into the army so he could enter it as a lowly soldier but I'm guessing inferring here Sulla wanted to be an officer so in response uh, Sulla basically dropped his studies and fully embraced that party hardy lifestyle that you know that second end of the work hard play hard lifestyle that he was doing a little bit before but as luck would have it Sulla would fall into a fortune and fall into a fortune repeatedly um if you're we're going for the uh, metaphor here there was one woman he was having an affair with hence the falling into the fortune repeatedly um and Sulla's and that that woman had a fortune uh, that she left to Sulla. So this person he's having an affair with dies and she left her fortune to Sulla. And also, Sulla's stepmother died at the, at the same time of this woman. And guess where the majority of her, uh, her fortune went to? It went to Sulla. So now he's swimming in a pool of cash so Sulla can finally begin his rise of the cursus honorum which is the pecking order of elected officials in the roman government Sulla had to use his patrician status and the money to enter the service as an officer as i was kind of hinting at well explaining before when Sulla was accepted he was assigned to marius as a military tribune now, I want you to stop and think about this for one second. All Sulla needed to do to become a military tribune was be born into a family that still kind of sort of meant something, but really meant something a long time ago, and have a bunch of dough. How he got it, be damned. Satorius, on the other hand, needed to survive Capio's stupidity by swimming wounded across a raging Rhone, and prove himself again and again for decades to be awarded military tribune. I think it was like 20, not 20 years, maybe like 10 years at least. You know, at least 10 years total. I'm trying to think where he, when he actually, oh wait. It was actually a decade because he served, we know he served with Capio in 106. And he became military tribune for Didius in 97 BC. So, yeah, it's about a decade. Um, let me see. And who knows what Marius had to deal with as a novus homo, like, before the Roman army was uh, reformed by him and all the, all the stuff that he had to deal with, just, you know, with patricians and stuff like that and the slight slights he had to deal with. I, I'm pretty sure that he was serving with... Um, someone named uh, Numidicus, whose uh, son is going to play a huge role later on in this story. And he, um, Marius, uh, was, I think they were fighting against Jugurtha. And 
he wanted to go to back to Rome to go uh, run for consul. And uh, Numidicus, who's a patrician uh, from a large, from a well-known, prominent family in Rome, basically had said to Marius, "Hey, you don't need to run for council until this dude, my son, um, is eligible." Keep in mind that his son was probably like thirty years younger than than Marius, <laughs> so it's like one of those things where, like, oh, I'm able to run for council council at age, you know you know, 50, while this snot-nosed kid is able to run for it at, like, 18 or something, or not 18, but, like, 20 or something like that. It's, it or not 20, it's going to be, like, thir- uh, probably be, like, 25, because you could probably serve in the legions at 15. I'm just doing some of this stuff off the top of my head. So if it sounds disjointed, that's why. Um, this rift between Marius and Sulla would dog their service together and eventually the Republic itself. Despite Marius stealing his thunder whenever he could, Sulla would actually be able to land the consulship in 89 BC, but he noticed a familiar name running for the Tribune and Plebs the next year, and that man's name was Quintus Sertorius. Sertorius had served well with Marius and received praise for it. Judging on Marius and Sulla's relationship, one can make the assumption that Sulla was jealous of Sertorius' not totally toxic, toxic relationship with Marius. And maybe when Sulla got to power, he tried to trip up the Cyclops hero of Castulo. And to boot, Sulla was against the idea of the office of the Tribune of the Plebs. Sulla saw it as the office as the root of all the problems in the Republic. Sulla would go so far when he became dictator to strangle that renegade office in the cradle. So it stands to reason that he did not want to see a popular man like Sertorius get the job, regardless of how he felt of him. Whatever the reasons, Sulla did block Sertorius from attaining that office. But at this time, Sertorius was actually distancing himself, most likely from Marius, because Marius was quickly becoming that aged quarterback that had lost a step or five. Marius was left out of the social war for that very reason. But nevertheless, Sertorius swore Sulla as his bitter enemy because of that stunt that Sulla pulled. And the stunt I'm referring to is him basically blocking um, Sertorius from from becoming tribune of the plebs. But Sulla had more on his mind than a mad Novus Homo. Chief among them was a command against the Pontic king, Mithridates VI. He was otherwise known as the Poison King because Mithridates spent his whole life trying to inoculate himself from death by poison by taking trace amounts of it. Mithridates had ruled an area roughly located around modern-day Turkey, and generals of the late Republic saw the war coming with Mithridates and craved it like someone with a sweet tooth in a donut shop. Marius and Sulla would tear Rome apart twice to get this command, and we will also see Mithridates play a huge factor in Sertorius's story later on. But going back to Sulla, um, he actually was award- awarded this command in 88 BC and went to go reap its benefits. But unfortunately, Marius's jealousy got the worst of him, and he decided to work behind the scenes with one Sulpicius to strip Sulla of his command. 
They succeeded in passing a motion to have Marius put in charge of the Eastern Command. But when the messengers came to inform Sulla of this, Sulla slowly marched west in the hopes of scaring Marius or Rome itself to back down. Marius and his supporters had no back down in them until Sulla and his legions literally marched on Rome, a breaking of a major taboo in Roman politics. I kind of compare this to like the president one day. Let's not say this president. Let's say a president, you know, a couple presidents down the road. Let's try to be controversial here. Let's say that president one day just announcing the Constitution is suspended. And I can hear people saying, you know, it already is. It basically already is. And I don't necessarily disagree with them. Um, but the shock of a president simply just suspending the Constitution, just getting up one day and saying, no more Constitution, I'm, I'm in charge, um, is going to lead to mass hysteria, riots, and possibly more. The current condition of the Constitution is more of a result of about a century, well, actually, it's probably ever since the Constitution was created, but, you know, many centuries long picking away at the process, at the parts of the Constitution that are um, more annoying to, say, the, the authorities. Take the Fourth Amendment, for instance. In uh, 1917, Woodrow Wilson and that Congress passed the Foreign Intelligence and Surveillance Act, which basically gutted it uh, to suit the needs of the Wilson administration to go after, quote-unquote, hyphenated Americans and people who were opposed to the United States' entry into World War I. Um, and it's things like these that have slowly picked away at the, Constitu the Constitution and, and pre presented it to us in its current form as it is today the shock of a president outright coming say hey like let's take a, a president eight years from now let's not get controversial right um let's let's say hey the, the constitution is suspended that would create ripples across the society in the left and the right center you know up down whatever you want to whatever you want to classify politically everyone's going to flip out no matter what side of the political aisle you're on i would hope um so there's there's a difference there that and and Sulla's march on rome is akin to a president saying okay the the Constitution's gone. Um, and in response to Sulla's march, Marius and crew did the honorable thing. They fled. As Sulla entered the city, he did so carefully, reprimanding looters and making sure nothing went awry through that tense night in Rome. The next morning, Sulla condemned Marius, Sulpicius, and ten others to death. Quintus Satorius was most likely saved by Sulla, blocking his election to the Tribune of the Plebs. Because if uh, if Quintus Satorius actually got that position, Sulla would have probably seen like, okay, he's super popular, he's in a position I don't like, I'm going to get rid of him right now. And I just snapped, too, in saying that. That was kind of weird. Um, but in the next episode, we are going to focus on how Satorius repaid Sulla. And, hint, word to the wise... It's not going to be in a way that Sulla likes. And we're going to dis discuss Sulla's second march on Rome. 
sparking the second civil war within five years.